Accomplishment Coaching is proud to present the following fine programming. Accomplishment Coaching, where coaches lead and leaders coach. AccomplishmentCoaching.com. Welcome to The Coaching Show with your host, Master Certified Coach, Christopher McCollum. All right, in studio today, I'm delighted to have in person, in the flesh, uh, in reality, Tom Crane. You may know him as Thomas Crane. He is the author of The Heart of Coaching, of course, now in its fourth edition. In addition, Mr. Crane is the author of The Rise of the Coachable Leader, his latest book. Uh, your work is, uh, we've, we've interviewed you before. I've been privileged to know you for, what, 20 years or something now. At least. And you're doing yeah. incredible work. Um, first of all, let's start right from the very beginning. You have this notion of collegial, collegial, I'm not sure how to say that word. Either. Collegial <laughs> coaching uh, as a distinct type of coaching from what we would normally think of as professional uh, coaching, professional or executive coaching. Tell us what that distinction is. How are these two things different and where do they overlap if they do? Well, great. It's good to be back with you, Christopher. Privilege. The way I think... Uh, I mean, the privilege is mine. Oh, Sorry. Well, okay. <laughs> the way I think of this process of coaching is that it there is a natural flow to having people who work together in the same workplace need to talk with one another about expectations, the goals they have, how they're going about serving their customers or clients. They need to be able to share feedback on how what one another does affects the other, how it affects the outcomes they're looking for as a business or a, a school, whatever kind of a business they happen to be in. And then always come up with, well, what are we gonna do about it? What's the next step for us? Mm -hmm. So the way I've cobbled together what I really think of as a communications map mm -hmm. is this transformational coaching. It gets that name coaching because we end up talking about performance, but it's a communications roadmap about people who work together uh, can more effectively address what's going on and what's needed. So it's really practical in terms of its intention. Uh, and it gets the name coaching because, you know, we talk about performance, but you, th you talk about <clears throat> giving feedback on performance. There's a number of things that have to be in place first. You've got to have a relationship built upon trust and rapport and respect. So it, it, it has that whole connection need up front. Expectations need to be clear. What's the goal that we're trying to achieve here? What's the shared goal we have, mission or strategy? All the way down to the very uh, micro level goals that you and I have individually. So there's a lot that goes into getting ready to have these coaching conversations between colleagues. So that's how it gets its name, colleagues between colleagues who work together. Now, is this a, a good idea? In other words, uh, many organizations have found that even internal coaches tend to be a bad idea or not as effective as we'd like them to be because they're subject to the same cultural stresses, the same context, if you will, uh, inside the organization that already exists. Is it a good idea to have these people who are in the same organization, at the same level, in the same context, coaching each other? Or does that sort of dilute the coaching because it becomes commiseration? <laughs> good question. Uh, well, so well, let's, let's break that down. Coaching one another, what does that mean? That means having a healthy conversation about how things are going, what's next for us, how could we better support one another. Very, col very collaborative in terms of how we address concerns, uh, and go to work to opt optimize our results. Mm -hmm. So that is a coaching conversation that has those expectations and relationship building stuff done up front as part of a foundation, but then it leads you directly into how are, how are, how are we working together? How can we become even more collaborative? How can we better serve our clients together? So that is a coaching conversation, but again, it's maybe a bit of a misnomer. It's really a conversation mm -hmm. about how things are going and what we can do differently. So I call it coaching because it kind of has the, the ring of performance focused. As a matter of fact, I, was, I would say that this is a performance focused or performance based, I, I meant to say, um, not, I meant to say feedback. It's a feedback based coaching conversation model. So Clearly, we're not from inside of a inside yeah, of a performance and people who work together. Who, right. Yeah. Who else needs to be able to share feedback than those who work together? Right. So a lot of the I'm, I'm just wanting to hone in on this, and then we'll uh, we'll move on to something else. But the the professional coaching. So yeah. there are a lot of people out there like myself with right. my MCC, which you have to say in that register, by the way. MCC. That's exactly right. Thank About you. Right. Um, uh, that are that would say that we're doing the same thing, right? We're getting to 
clar- clarifying and sometimes that's the best work we do is articulating expectations or goals or or making sure that the individual's goals is aligned with the organizationals with the organization's goals I should say mm-hmm. um, and developing a rapport or relationship so how is it and I and I love this idea I'm just a little bit terrified of how it could go wrong. What have you seen happen with this collegial coaching model in actual practical use? Well, uh, I would say almost always good things. Can people abuse any process? Can they be uh, uh, onerous or punitive or critical in the way they give feedback? Yes, they can. There's ways to do that that make the feedback effective or not. Uh, But I think one distinction around the professional coaching methodologies and and how they're used is that often you're not, I think most often, you're not delivering feedback you've observed, but you've heard about it. You sit there with the person you're uh, working with as the client and you've you've heard from them what maybe is going on. You may have an assessment tool of some kind, 360 feedback, right? Mm -hmm. So you have information you can help them understand and embrace and own. it's seldom you work on the same project team or the same department staff and have that kind of feedback uh, unless you happen to be in HR and you've also been trained as a coach and now you're working internally as a professional coach, if you will, right. uh, and to work with them. So that it's, it comes down to boundaries, expectations. How are we working together in this conversation right now? If I'm going to come in and actually act as your coach, then let's set that up so we're clear on how we're going to be interacting. Mm-hmm. And I think that keeps it clean. Yeah, I think I, I, what I love about this work is that you're not only bringing in this notion of a a clear conversation and a clear relationship boundary, but you're you're kind of giving us the guideline, the map, if you will, of how that feedback conversation can go and should go and will be most effective in going. You also bring forward the concept of boss as coach, and in your framework which uh, is also called or you also call it in the book transformational coaching you've got a clear roadmap um, that includes everything from emotional intelligence to articulating and sharing goals uh, it's compelling it really is and the website of course is crane consulting that's c-r-a-n-e consulting.com the book the heart of coaching now in its fourth edition is the one that you want to get and the latest book the newest book is the, the Rise of the Coachable Leader, both by Tom Craig. Are you seeking to change your career to something that is both fulfilling and challenging? Do you want to help people reach their full potential and strive to achieve their dreams? Would you like to inspire those around you and help create a better world? If you're serious about a career change or just want to explore the craft of personal coaching, contact Accomplishment Coaching with locations across the country in Washington, D.C., Seattle, Chicago, New York City, and San Diego. Accomplishment Coaching is the leading institution in personal coaching. Our staff carefully monitors the entire program live during the training process and have met the strict standards of ICF International to achieve accreditation. Through a focus on quality instruction rather than endless modules of training, Accomplishment Coaching will guide you from your very first step all the way to becoming one of the finest coaches in the world. Visit AccomplishmentCoaching.com to learn more. Accomplishment Coaching, where coaches lead and leaders coach. Christopher McAuliffe is your source for the latest in the world of personal coaching. Whether it be speaking with such luminaries as Deepak Chopra or getting the newest techniques and innovations, the coaching show is always on the cutting edge of what's happening now. Tired of presentations with no impact, no inspiration, and no traction? Do dull speakers have you and your team disengaged and distracted by smartphones? Christopher McAuliffe brings energy, insights, and two decades of experience delivered with punch, humor, and heart. Your team will leave energized, uplifted, and with a sense of purpose. Visit ChristopherMcAuliffe.com to bring some heat to your next speaking engagement. M-C-A-U-L-I-F-F-E. ChristopherMcAuliffe.com. Gotham Books presents Marriage Rules by Harriet Lerner. The book Martha Beck calls required reading for anyone hoping to interact successfully with any other human, not just for those in romantic relationships. Get your copy wherever books and ebooks are sold and visit harrietlearner.com to learn how to change your marriage today. Tom, one of the things that really catches me in your latest work is the notion of coachability. What is coachability? Ha, great question. Uh, this comes from the idea that 
if an organization is sufficiently uh, motivated to create what we all call coaching cultures, then if you're going to have coaching become a predominant way of interacting across the culture, up, down, and sideways, uh, and have that become part of our cultural fabric, if you will, a new way of thinking, a new set of habits, a new, le- new set of skills, then those who have the privilege of leading, anybody in a leadership capacity, and I think you lead from where you are, so that's really just about everybody, but the idea is that leaders would need to be receptive to feedback. Hmm. So I've gone out of my way to describe what I think coachability is about. It's about being proactive. Uh, you've heard the phrase, I've heard the phrase, uh, open door policy, you know, you got a problem, come see me. Yeah. Problem with that, it's passive. People just sit there and the subordinate, the person who is the direct report, is often afraid of going and telling their boss, I don't know what's going on, right? I'm stuck here, I can't solve this, and I don't know the answer. Right, it requires you to look weak to simply take advantage of whatever the guidance is. At least we think about it as being weak. Right, 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 yeah. So uh, if, if that's the way we think about that, then that's a good reason not to do it. So then the idea is to be proactive in soliciting feedback from those that you work with. So you have a chance to understand their perceptions, their experiences, and you're gonna be f- then you're gonna be the beneficiary because you get to learn how other people see you. We can't often see ourselves very well, but others can see us. And so for us to be open and receptive and solicitous of other people's points of view, their experiences, their feedback that we want to be candid. We want them to tell the truth to us. Otherwise it doesn't really help us. It just kind of keeps the illusion up of uh, oh, I'm pretty great, aren't I? T- tell me how great I am today, Christopher. <laughs> you, know, tell, you know, get stroke my ego. I did work with that guy for a while. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we, all, we all probably have. Mm-hmm. But the idea is to have an open exchange that's candid and honest and compassionate on how we actually are interacting. There's the beauty of being open to receiving feedback. I, I think that it sounds great. Do you have a way that actually trains people to be more coachable or is it one of those innate you either have it or you'd know guts <laughs> uh, i think it's a learnable skill i think it, it works with our beliefs and our attitudes about ourselves which are based in founded in the degree to which we have an overactive ego so you probably have never seen that but once in a <laughs> while we see people who have overactive egos or egocentric and uh, so much focused on themselves that uh, narcissism comes to mind as an extreme example of that. But the point is, if you're, if you're based in ego, and uh, I'm sure, I forgot where we're going in our question. We're talking about, uh, is it a learnable, oh, uh, yeah. uh, trainable skill? Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, should, I should learn to listen. <laughs> well, I've got I, some feedback for you later. No, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. <laughs> what we can do is we can work on our, uh, our on, on our ability to relax our expectations, relax the hold our ego has on how much it wants to make us right. It wants to keep us correct. It wants to have us keep looking perfect, not make mistakes. Uh, so if we work on our egocentricity and move toward something that's more relaxed, more open, more curious, it comes from curiosity and openness to learn from others, when we can work on that, which we address in our workshops, then we can work on the skills. Well, how would, if you were more open, how would you either ask questions mm-hmm. to learn, offer feedback, again, to share what your perceptions are? So then the skills will more naturally follow and are more easily developed if I'm willing. It all starts with willingness, right? And is, is that where a 360 comes in handy because you're yeah. finding that people are able to say, you know, this leader ain't listening? We, yeah, exactly. The 360, you know, holds a lot of information, a lot of clues. So then the, the, the professional coaches working with people as an executive or leadership coach are tremendously valuable because they help people understand, distill, determine what the themes are that then that person whose report that is gets to look at. Yeah, I guess I, I really do do that. I'm really protective. I'm really kind of angry. I really have kind of an edge the way I speak. I really am kind of condescending and critical. So if things like that are part of their feedback, then they know they're less safe, less easy to work with, and it's getting in the way of their leadership effectiveness. So important. And what a, what a gift to be able to uh, give that not only to the individual, but I'm imagining the sort of domino effect throughout the organization, or at least the culture of that person's area. Absolutely, it's it's the it's the shadow that the, that leader casts. They're either reflecting light 
or they're casting a shadow. I think leadership is a light job, L-I-G-H-T. Mm. And, and, and then it has people become more reflective and then be better, a better able, no guarantees here, but better able to own their feedback, digest it, take it in, onboard it, own it. When they can do that and model that, you talked about the organization, mm -hmm. if you have leaders who are able to model openness and transparency, it sets up safety. When leaders are more safe to approach, to share feedback with, and they're more safe in the way they deliver feedback, everything else gets better. You've got practical wisdom here, and um, I want to let people know the book is The Rise of the Coachable Leader, Seven Executive Success Stories of developing true coaching cultures. It's really about culture change. I noticed as we've been talking here in the studio, you've been playing with a poker chip. Tell me about that. I'm going to Vegas. No. Uh, <laughs> this is a terrible idea. No, no. <laughs> well, it, it's interesting. I had the idea probably a half a dozen years ago. I said, you know, coaching, coachability, because uh, it's not a new concept that I created. I mean, it's been around a whole, a whole long period of time. They're really two sides of the same coin. You know, so that is a metaphor for obviously what is going on. So then about six or eight months ago, I said, well, why don't I go buy some poker chips and put a little logo on it and coaching as a, the word coaching is on one side, the word coachability is on the other side. And then in the workshops that we're doing now around the rise of the coachable leader and this whole notion of becoming more solicit, solicit, Solicitous, there we go, yes. thank you. Mm -hmm. Solicitous, solicitous. <laughs> Don't do it. <laughs> open, receptive, asking for, there we go, asking we for go. feedback and then responding to it, is they get this coin to carry in their pocket. And the idea is to use this as a way to anchor yourself in, oh yeah, my job as a leader, supervisor, manager, whatever capacity, whatever role I have, is to become effective at coaching and to be open to being coached. So they carry this, and a simple little way to use it is every day flip the poker chip, flip the coin, right? I'll see if I can do it now. Catch it, boom. And what came up for me is coachability. Okay, so one of the two sides is going to come up each day. Mm -hmm. So coachability comes up, then it's my job sometime before I leave the office, right, in 24 hours. Could be at home, too, because these things also apply in our home settings. I need to go do something around me demonstrating my coachability. If the other side comes up, coaching comes up, then I get to go do something today for sure out of the toolkits that we teach on how to better give feedback or give some feedback or ask some questions, whatever way I want to interpret that. But now I've got a practical tool I can use every day. I'm going to do something about being coached or something about coaching others. Well, and as a, an observer, you know, what I love about this whole thing is how practically it's grounded in practicality. This is not, you know, a, a yet another model of potential human behavior or how to fulfill some imaginary thing. This is actually useful. We could do this in any organization, in any place in the world today. So I love the, the notion of this touchstone. It brings in a little neuro-linguistic programming. It brings in a little, uh, you know, body stuff right this touchstone yeah. of that which even if it were just sitting in your pocket would be like a reminder to ground yourself yep. but then this notion that you can flip it mine came up coachability too is this a, is this loaded this is, this is a, a key an for both of us yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it really is um, <laughs> but it's really it's really brilliant and so is the rest of the book the rise of the coachable leader uh, thomas crane you know your your work from that i know the heart of coaching your original book the the feedback loop that you created there, the transformational coaching, sort of getting into now the culmination of it, talking to people who've actually brought this into the cultural of their organizations and changed it. Is there, um, is there a next thing for you that you're working on now? Is there something that you're looking, uh, that's a forward step for you in all of this work? Well, I appreciate the question. Uh, the answer is yes, and I'm in the process of discovering it. It's kind of a heuristic process, this thing called life, right? You discover it as you go. <clears throat> Excuse me. I have created uh, a two-day core skills workshop, and about a year and a half ago did a day three and a day four, the advanced coaching skills mm -hmm. based on the heart of coaching as a basic uh, roadmap for communications. And I've had that used by a few clients but kind of on a limited basis i go into deeper things uh, i do it uh, a deeper a significant deep dive on emotional intelligence oh. so i want to continue to delve more deeply into brain psychology what brain science is mm -hmm. showing people about how the brain functions and how we learn 
and and emotional intelligence and how that is a uh, it's a key indicator of how successful anybody is as a communicator or a leader. So I'm going to continue to work on deepening what I think are the core principles already embedded in the model. Because most, I mean, there's got 16, 17 bullets around the, the, the core map. Each one of those could be a half a day. Yeah. Discussion, activity, experience, some journaling. So the experiences that we do in the workshops uh, are very much focused on learning and taking something out of that for you, the individual. Uh, so for me, it's just to continue to dive deeper. Great. Well, if you are interested in working uh, more in this model, which is an extraordinary feedback loop model of communication, if you're interested in becoming uh, uh, one of the people who knows how to bring coachability to organizations, or if your organization could, <laughs> if you're eager for your organization to take this on, check it out at Crane Consulting. That's C-R-A-N-E consulting.com. Uh, also pick up a copy of The Heart of Coaching now in its fourth edition, or The Rise of the Coachable Leader, or Better just get both. All right. Thank you, Tom Crane. You're welcome. Tom, one of the things in your latest book, The Rise of the Coachable Leader, is you talk a lot about coaching cultures and how we can develop true coaching cultures. Yeah. Wh what is a coaching culture? Isn't that just another way of saying, uh, let me tell people what to do? <laughs> that's great um the the term coaching culture is by my recollection 25 plus years old uh when i set up my own practice in 1995 uh i googled coaching culture as a matter of fact it's the subtitle of my first book using transformational coaching to create a high performance coaching culture because mm -hmm. i just worked for six years with uh, a culture change firm out of Long Beach <clears throat> that uh, you know were pioneers really in the the process of changing culture. The thing that I was attracted to in terms of coaching is it's not bossing somebody around like you're suggesting, just telling them what to do. It's actually delivering feedback, making sure that that person feels connected with and appreciated. They've got clear sense of direction and goals what they're what they're trying to accomplish. They have the feedback they need to improve because without feedback you don't know you're shooting in the dark if you will. Uh, and then come up with a game plan, a commitment for action. So the idea is when you can embed that kind of skill set into a culture, you create a coaching culture. I Googled back in 1995 the term. There were about five or six websites that came up that said anything about coaching cultures, right? Well, today, I cannot even count the number of firms or organizations that will help you do that, you know, if, if you... Um, listen to what they say on their website. So it's a very popular term. I think there's a big distinction to make, however. A coaching culture, to me, is where people in the culture are doing the coaching. Mm. And they're also coachable. So if you think of an arrow, an up and down arrow, and a left and right arrow, arrow direction, kind of a cross. So feedback and coaching flows up, it flows down, it flows left, it flows right. It goes in all directions. So a true coaching culture is when everybody inside of that culture has got the same kind of uh, skills, the same kind of mindset, the same kind of language, because a key thing in any culture is understanding what its language and its terminologies are. So a shared skill set, a shared set of weighing, you know, a way to sit down and have conversations with one another, there's power in that, hmm. as opposed to different people doing it different ways because that's their style. Yeah, but if they've got a common roadmap, a common protocol of things to bring into any conversation to make it powerful, they'll have a true coaching culture. The, Id the idea in my mind is to contrast it with a coached culture where some people are shown how to give feedback is usually the bosses, the managers, the leaders, you know, the supervisors, send them off to a class and have them learn how to coach their direct reports. Well, coaching may flow better down, but it doesn't do anything about coaching or, and feedback flowing back up. So it's kind of unidirectional, kind of a top-down process. Or in, a, in most professional coaching methodologies, uh, won't name them here, uh, it is a question-based approach to coaching. Right. Powerful stuff. 
which is uh, partly to avoid the coach smearing his or her uh, truth or answers or opinions on the client or the coachee. And right? I totally understand that. That makes perfect sense to remain that ob- to, to retain that objectivity. Right. Yeah. So, but, so what are we replacing that with? Because aren't you risking in a coaching culture where uh, feedback is flowing in every direction? Aren't mm-hmm. you kind of risking people just coming up and saying, "Here's some feedback. You're a big old jerk," <laughs> and, and then you know, kind of walking away scot free. Well, I mean, people can do that. And of course, uh, often what happens is the people who have kind of that, that bent or orientation or mm-hmm. pro- proclivity anyway will do it that way because that's just the way they get feedback. You know, they're out there to... Uh, Got your uh, feedback right here. You know, I got some feedback for you, so have a, have a seat. Um, the idea is to have people recalibrate the way they think about that. How mm-hmm. would they like to be coached? How would they like to receive feedback? The idea is that we want it to be candid, but we want it to also be respectful. The whole notion of engaging people, you don't engage people's heads only. We engage their hearts to have a passionate workforce, people that are aligned and supportive, collaborative, and high-spirited. They need to be engaged as, and recognized as a full human being. So the idea is to be more compassionate and sensitive the way we give the feedback. That doesn't mean we don't tell the truth. We do, but we do that in such a way as people can hear the feedback. If I don't have rapport with you and I give you feedback, the feedback is just noise. We don't need more noise. We need feedback that's actionable. So we go out of our way to help people understand what is it that makes feedback actionable so that when I offer feedback to you, you trust me, you know I've got your back, you know that we're collaborating, you know you've got my highest good uh, uh, in your heart, so there, I'm gonna be more open to hearing your feedback. The book is The Rise of the Coachable Leader. It builds on your seminal work, The Heart of Coaching, which should be on everyone's shelf who's in any position of leadership. The website is craneconsulting.com. Tom Crane, let's talk about real-world applications. In other words, your, your latest book, The Rise of the Coachable Leader, talks about success stories, real-life success stories of developing true coaching cultures. And I want to be clear my understanding of your view of a coaching culture is not this is we go to consult the oracle and then we come back with the answer but a feedback rich culture where people are giving and receiving feedback i'd love to hear a real life example of how this has shifted a culture because we've all been in jobs or organizations where they say that your feedback or your input is welcome but really it's keep your mouth shut and do your job right so where (laughs) where has this worked and how has it really given us some real world results great i will give you one example from the seven that were harvested for this uh, this book the client is farm credit mid-america headquartered in louisville kentucky they about six years ago ran across the book They did a book study on it and said, oh, there's something here for us. Why don't we look at bringing the heart of coaching, that whole process, into their organization? Once they did that on kind of a pilot basis, they said, oh, this communication process is actually helping us communicate with one another and with the teams that we lead. Well, that led to them saying that we probably ought to have a culture where everybody can do this because if we can more effectively communicate, this is going to be good for everybody up, down, and sideways. So they adopted as one of their five strategic goals for that year and every year since. The constant, ever-present strategic goal for the organization is to continue to create a coaching culture. The other four are about member or customer service, introducing new products. They've got other strategies, of course, that that operate there in their four-state area in the Midwest. But they've always held up creating a coaching culture. They see that as an ongoing developmental process. So the reason that this was effective there is that the CEO who came on board just after they'd done the book study, <laughs> learned about the heart of coaching. I think someone gave him a copy of the book. And they say, we're thinking about putting this in place as kind of a, a cultural touchstone. Uh, what do you think about that? His name is Bill Johnson. And Bill says, hey, that's a great idea. So one of our methodologies is we help people, leaders and teams, everybody who goes through this, they create a coaching contract that they carry in their car, uh, in their pocket. It's, it's a three by five laminated card. So that each individual has a coaching contract to remind them of their behaviors that they want to focus on to be more effective as a leader, as a communicator. Well, Bill developed the habit right away of opening team and group meetings, staff meetings, by reading his coaching contract. Wow. And he would say, here's what I'm working on. I'm going to be a better listener. Blah, blah. I don't happen to have a copy of that here with me. I wish I did. 
I probably ought to get permission from Bill to carry it so I can share his contract. But he would open meetings with that level of transparency and that level of openness. So with all the work that Peter Singh and other great people have done around creating learning organizations, if you can't be transparent and say, hey, I'm working on this, how can you support me or will you give me feedback? Then we're not really modeling being open to learning. Mm -hmm. So they've modeled that, what they've done with it as they've worked on it now for they're in their sixth year of continuing to create a coaching culture. They use one of our assessment tools, a coaching culture assessment to, and to give metrics and quantitative data as well as qualitative input around how the coaching culture is developing. They're making progress each and every year. They see communications becoming more effective. Things, they're able to solve problems faster. Uh, Bill puts in the, uh, in the interview we had with him a number of things which come from their uh, the, the direct impact that they've had. Uh, openness, they've, it's been a challenge for them in, as in any organization to have leaders in the field mm-hmm. actually believe they need upward feedback. You know, that's, there's, a, there's a management mindset around, well, I'm the boss, why right. would I need feedback from you? Yes. I, you know, you work for me. Right. <laughs> so then for them to be more open and more listen to the concerns, the feedback, the ideas, the suggestions, the problems that people have below them, where the execution of the strategy happens, that is so important. So they've become more nimble, they're able to make changes faster, and this last year, they've gone through some major reorganization processes, uh, and they've gotten a lot better, and they, they realize that because our, co- our culture is more of a coaching culture, it's more open, there's more uh, openness and sharing of feedback, concerns, ideas, and thoughts, they are able to solve problems faster. So they've, they've had, not a, not a problem free, but you know, they've, they've been able to get through all these structural changes and they attribute a lot of the ease of, the relative ease of getting through that because they have more open communications. It's, it's extraordinary. Let's talk for a moment about the value of the, or the, I kind of want to talk about the, the feeling of being in an organization like that because it, it sounds extraordinary. It also sounds like the leaders got some humility, some self-awareness, things like that. And that um, rapport or some basic respect is a foundational uh, piece for it. In other words, I can envision some organizations taking this on in name only and using feedback and the opportunity to provide feedback to slap everybody or, or certain people. Yep. I know that you know in, in organizations that I'm familiar with, there are people who will work with uh, for their boss mm-hmm. even though they feel like the organization is somehow cold or impersonal or doesn't care about them individually right but i like my boss so i'll stay um how how does this shift the entire organization or does it are there still sort of pockets of resistance if you will or or um people misusing the tool of feedback um great uh, great area for uh, conversation i think uh what you've made me think about is the whole idea of employee engagement mm-hmm. that's so topical and, and so much uh, so important because what a decade ago we lost it you know there's been a huge right. fall off in terms of engaged uh, or, uh, people uh, that were no longer committed to the organization because they realized the organization is no longer committed to them it's reciprocal right so in engagement, the way I think of it, it is a leader-led process. It starts at the top. If you don't have high engagement scores or high engagement interactions or, or teamwork, <clears throat> you're not getting the kind of engagement you want. Look to the leaders. It's a leader-led phenomenon. They're probably not engaging. And the way I distill that, Christopher, is it comes down to safety. Mm. Are they safe to approach? Are they safe to talk to? Are they safe and considerate the way they give you honest, candid feedback that you can actually learn from? Think about millennials and their huge need for, and they're putting the focus on feedback and how important it is for them to have feedback. If they don't get feedback, they can't grow. They're down the road. They're leaving. They're not going to stay here when they don't have a chance to develop and be developed. So, the idea about creating more of an engagement, uh, high engagement organization is central to the whole thing. Coaching this way between colleagues who work together is truly an engagement strategy. It's taking, you know, because you can't hide out. You know, you, the idea is you have face-to-face conversations. You use many of the tools in a team setting, so it's a team coaching application as well. But the idea is to sit down face-to-face, eyeball-to-eyeball, and be able to tell the truth with respect and have people connect and understand what's going on and see how they can make things better. It's that basic. 
And to do that and to do that well and have people engaged, they've got to feel safe. They've got to feel like they can speak up. They can say, hey, I don't know the answer here. How about the last time, last time they heard their boss say, hey, I don't know, team, what do, you, what do you think? Let's figure this out together. A little bit of humility goes a long way toward creating safety, which is one of the key cornerstones of this entire process. I heard you speak a moment ago about this coaching culture assessment, and I made a note to myself about, I want to I do that. Is that something that's available to the public, or how do we get a hold of that, and where do we go? Well, uh, thanks for asking. Uh, it is a, a tool that we created a few years ago. It's got five areas of competency. Uh, I developed it out of the work uh, of working with these dynamics. And when I, would step, when I set up my own firm in 95, uh, I stepped back and said, well, what is it you'd want to see in place inside of a culture to make it a true coaching culture? Well, I've come up with five different areas of competency. One is you have a huge uh, focus on customers, your clients, who you're there to serve. And then, you're, of course, you're using feedback in your interactions with them so that you are taking their feedback, you're responding to it, and they know what you've done with their feedback. You've got to close the loop. Mm -hmm. Another one is you have coaching working in a 360-degree fashion. The idea of those arrows up, down, and sideways, it goes in all directions, a full circle, a full 360. The third area of competency is we have uh, we use the feedback truly to learn and to, man, uh, to navigate change, like farm credit was doing that they've done that uh, for years so the idea is to use it to support learning and change across the organization a key area and it's often the laggard the last thing to develop are the HR systems onboarding training developing promoting people because they are a coach they've got good coaching skills and or they are coachable it's one of the most systematic and imp important things to be in place and it often uh, is the last to develop driven by the central process, which is leaders become coaches, they come, become committed to the idea of being up, uh, being up. <laughs> it's one combination between being and showing up. <laughs> they show up as a coach, they show up coachable. So when they can model this, you look up to the leadership above you, your direct supervisor on up the chain, you see people who are open, they're transparent, they, they are learners themselves, they're, they're soliciting feedback, they're responding to feedback, they're safe to talk to. That is the, is the central, and it's kind of why it's in the center of the model. So those five areas of competency are what people can, in an organization setting, assess to what extent do we have some of these tributes. Each of, each of these areas of competency, uh, competency Christopher, has uh, uh, eight different um, elements, eight different behavioral things that you'd notice in place or not. So the idea is use it to get a quantitative fix, a benchmark on where we are today, and then a year from now, take it again and look how things have changed. Gotcha. And how and who do who does that? And where do I get the t where do I get the? We do assessment? that. Yeah, thank you. We do that when we work with clients who want to create a coaching culture. They bring the heart of coaching into their organization. Then we make available to them on a small fee basis. We, it's not a big. Moneymaker, we don't do it for that reason. We do mm -hmm. it so people can understand to what extent do they have a coaching culture already, and then they can use the metrics here to help them shape how they go forward so they can measure progress. Great. And how do we reach you? What's the best way? Well, the website. Email is, is on the website, uh, ggcrane at craneconsulting.com. So uh, I'm, I'm very responsive to email like most of us are. Uh, phone numbers are there. So between the website and email and, and a phone call, uh, I always respond and, and then would be able to give more information on both that coaching culture assessment and then the individual 360, which is the coaching skills assessment. Great. So again, Crane Consulting, that's C-R-A-N-E, consulting.com, or get the book, The Heart of Coaching, or the latest book, The Rise of the Coachable Leader from Tom Crane. Continuing now in our conversation with Tom Crane, uh, author of The Heart of Coaching, Matt, uh, you hold an MBA. You've been an OD consultant since, uh, uh, well, let's say for the more than 20 years. The cows came home <laughs> a long time. <laughs> Your latest book is The Rise of the Coachable Leader. Uh, one of the things that leaders, you know, it seems like we're in the age of leadership and leadership feedback and leadership development and lots of um, people, especially perhaps in the tech world or industries, although not exclusively, but any, any place where technical competence is required for advancement, that leadership and leadership development is a hot topic. What do you see as the biggest issue in leadership today, and, and what, are, what do you want to address in terms of building better leaders? Hmm, great question. Leadership development, you're right. It's a fertile, vibrant field today, has been for uh, some time. 
it's interesting that you ask that question that way. To me, uh, I'm a systems thinker. I kind of think in terms of models, and I like to pull things together to kind of synthesize how things fit, how they all work together. So when I think of leadership development, I think of this roadmap as a communication template uh, for how people could more effectively communicate to anybody inside their organization. So to develop a leader, I ask myself, why wouldn't you want to have them have access to the tools which are embedded in this as a roadmap, as a communication toolkit? What you see is leadership training, leadership development processes focused on strategy, articulation and mission, living organizational values, setting goals, goal setting, delegation of projects to people, giving, yes, giving individuals feedback, uh, helping generate accountability, modeling accountability, because that is so key for organizational performance. So to me, I see so many people out there who deal with all the pieces, and they do it well. Emotional intelligence is another piece, another key element. What I try to do is I try to bring these things together into an organi organi organized and systematic uh, uh, roadmap that, that says here's all the tools as a leader uh, that you're going to want to be able to access. You're going to want to have the robustness of developing yourself around any one of these uh, in a way that gives you a systematic way to look at yourself. So the, you know, doing that as a 360, uh, looking at all of the different competencies, there's 20 of them embedded in a model. Any one of those could be a leadership development course, if you will, or program. Integrate two or three together and you've got maybe you know, the makings of something that could last months. Well, there's no reason why that thing can't as a synthesis of all the, of everything that I think of when I think of leaders. I mean, mm -hmm. I've, I've tried to put in everything there, including the kitchen sink. Gotcha. <laughs> it's robust. There's a lot of stuff there. Well, let me narrow it down. What's the, um, when you think of organizations today, and I know this is a hugely open question, but intentionally so, uh, what's the number one, if you could wave your magic wand and give leaders or take away something from most leaders in the way that they're leading today, what do you think is the biggest issue? Trust. Mm. People have lost trust in organizations and how fast change is happening. The, the, the white waters of the river they live in every day is, is stressing people to no end. And because they don't have uh, trust, which is supported by safety and transparency and openness and humanness, heart connection, as well as just head smarts, uh, then everything else becomes more difficult because I'm having a hard time feeling safe here. I don't trust mm -hmm. you. Right. I don't know what your agenda is. I probably, if I'm honest, I know I've got my own, but the idea is, is we're willing to set those aside, maybe even name them so we can get them out of the way and do the great work together we could do. So if we can work on engendering trust, we'll have more connection, we'll have more safety, we'll have more teamwork, more collaboration. We can open-heartedly, in a spirited way, collaborate and find our passion if we have the working relationship that supports that. Otherwise, I'm just kind of doing stuff to get through my day and then I'm gonna go home and I've got a life outside of work. We all need one, I understand that. But we also want to find ways to have more enjoyment and passion and fulfillment from our work experience. So leaders can bring that back if only they'll be more open and more trusting in how they conduct themselves. It's, it's exactly aligns with my experience, which is how important it is to tell people that in your organization, hilariously in my own organization, you know, I recently gave a little talk about what we're up to and my staff was, astonished and delighted and suddenly reinvigorated by what we were up to and i'm doing this stuff every day and not talking to them even as as a leader of a relatively small organization yeah. um is it that bad elsewhere is it just a matter of like we're not even talking to people or telling people who need to know or is it something in the way that we're delivering information that seems disconnecting and or threatening it's probably a combination of both i think people are disconnected from the the heartfelt, the, the, the passion that's involved in serving the mission of the organization, serving its clients. I mean, every organization exists to serve clients, uh, our customers, and make a difference in the world, if you will. So when people can identify to that mission and become committed in service of it, that's probably why they joined the organization to start with. So when we lose, we lose that when things change so fast. There's so many competitive threats. Yes, there's all changes in technology, all kinds of changes. 
that have a huge impact upon my ability to stay connected. Uh, so partly it's, it's loss of that connection because of the times we're in, that's a challenge for sure. But then the way leaders, and I think your experience, uh, shows that, mm, yeah, I probably need to spend more time engaging my team and where we are going and how they can support that and what part they want to play in our success as we go forward. It's an invitation. Mm -hmm. So if they found passion and excitement and enthusiasm, it's probably because they see openness, they see openings where they can contribute more. They like you as a leader and they want to contribute and you've opened the door. So uh, modeling is so important that we're humble, that we're open as leaders and that we share but then also how we're doing it yeah. is important, not yeah. just not just an announcement, yeah. something. It, it, it strikes me that you know some of the organizations that we're aware of today, some of the leading organizations in the world, you know they're sitting on mountains of cash, right? And seeming uh, if you're already publicly, people are yeah. aware that you've got 278 billion dollars that we know of, right? <laughs> That's not parked <laughs> offshore somewhere. Sure. Um, it strikes me that people are going to be more focused on, do you care about me as the employee? Is this a caring or a supportive organization? Am I going to um, move myself forward here? Yeah. And how do we communicate that? What's a what's a, is if you could again a magic wand question? If you could impact the organization in the area of trust, in the area of caring about employees, what's what's something simple that we could start with, or what would you have them do? Well, one of the things we have in that advanced coaching skills workshop is a quote unquote it's a module, uh, but it's a it's a practice around building trust. Uh, I've used the eleven different trust building activities in uh, Stephen R. Covey's book, uh, The Speed of Trust, because mm-hmm. I think it's a great resource. So I show people how to sit down and look at those eleven different parameters and say it was you and I, Christopher. Uh, I'd mm-hmm. go down through there on a scale of one to 10 or A, B, C, D, E. I'd, I'd give a rating or a score of some kind, low, medium, high. And we talk about our perceptions of one another on each of those 11 different parameters. And then out of that, we're gonna have a whole bunch of information discovered that allows us to better understand one another. And then through that, we can make an agreement for support, gosh, to work together better now that we know this about one another and know how we are perceived by the other person we can actually create more trust. There's more openness, there's more safety, we're more honesty between us. I'm not threatening you, I'm not challenging you, I'm not, I'm not trying to get the better of you, I'm not trying to put you down. I wanna work with you because you're a colleague and I value you, I care about you. So that is a simple trust building process that people can have. They can, they can pick up that, that book, The Speed of Trust, look at those 11 different things which are powerful, and then consider having a conversation. We do it in the safety of a workshop, so everybody does it together, and mm-hmm. you know, they make it. Uh, we make it okay to do it that way. But then it's basically having people open their heart, open their minds, and talk about that stuff. So important for anyone who's working with leaders, who's developing leaders, to know and focus on this ability to give and take um, feedback. Not criticism, not righteous, you know, indignation, but feedback. Of course, the book is all about that, The Rise of the Coachable Leader. And you can get that wherever fine books are are sold and available or go right to the source. Go to Crane Consulting, that's C-R-A-N-E, consulting.com, and get your your copy. The Rise of the Coachable Leader, of course, uh, based on the seminal work by Tom Crane, The Heart of Coaching. If you don't have that on your shelf, you'll want it. Uh, and perhaps not on your shelf, but it's actionable, it's um, practical, and it, it'll be dog-eared and in your hand most of the time. All right, uh, uh, continuing conversation with Tom Crane, Thomas Crane, the author of The Heart of Coaching, The Rise of the Coachable Leader. You can find him on the web at craneconsulting.com. One of the things that you've supported co- uh, uh, organizations in doing is shifting to a coaching culture using a methodology that you've called in your book transformational coaching. What I get is that it's really culture building. It's very uh, focused on every aspect from the emotional to the feedback to more. What's what are the inf- I- what are the key components to transformational coaching and why do you call it transformational coaching when it's really sort of a subversive plan to shift a culture? <laughs> okay. Well, uh, transformational, 
you know, I think of the butterfly. So the butterfly transforms from the pupa to the, you know, the beautiful, mm. uh, elegant creature that comes out of that uh, cocoon, and it can't go back. So you've transformed. I can't unsee it. Uh, when we see, you know, bad things in life, uh, you know, you, we've all heard, you've all, all heard of situations where <clears throat> once you see something, you can't, you can't go back and unsee it. So same mm-hmm. thing here. You transform the way you think. You transform the way you go about doing things. Your skills, the, how you do and say things. You end up transforming relationships. And the idea is we we use as a companion model this results cycle, and the results cycle simply connects the way I think, my beliefs with my behaviors, the skills, what I do and say, and shows the direct causal impact upon the nature of the relationship. How much trust, rapport, respect do we have in place? And it's through those relationships that we get our results. So let's be aware of all the things I can do to transform me so that I can transform we so that we can together transform our results. So it's transformational in that we'll move ahead and we typically don't slide back too far. We keep getting better. And at what point can coaching impact that that cycle as you've articulated the beliefs, the behavior, the relationship, the results? Yes, everywhere. Oh, <laughs> see, so we co- don't just have to start with let's let's deal with the beliefs so that everything else will line up. N- uh, no, no. Uh, actually, you can use this result cycle in reverse. You can look at the results you're getting, mm-hmm. and then back into well, what kind of relationship, what kind of interaction are we having with either our stakeholders, our suppliers, our colleagues, our teammates, my manager. I can look at the skills, the actions, behaviors, what's being done, what's being said. So I'm kind of using it in a reverse flow, and back into what's the thought behind that, the interpretation, and a key word. What's the assumptions we're making about things, our life, our relationship, our roles. Who's got what accountabilities? So you use it as a cause and effect cycle in any direction, backwards or forwards. But the point is, it allows us to have a little bit of structure to the feedback that we share. Mm -hmm. I can share feedback on what I'm seeing or hearing about that you're doing or saying and the way it's affecting me, the way I think it's maybe affecting others and how I think it's leading to an outcome, a business result. And then if I've got time and enough respect and uh, uh, if we want to, we can both go into our thinking behind that. Okay. So that's a deep exploration uh, process there. Take requires a lot of safety. But wow, that, I mean, I, I don't think the transformation is going to occur if I only, if I only change the, the, what I do and say. Okay. I think I've got to also change my thinking. I've got to adopt a new paradigm, a new way of looking at this. And when, when either the professional coach or a collegial coach can help you examine your thinking, your ideas, your interpretations, and see that you're probably not seeing everything, there's other ways to look at this, that's transformational, or can be. Beautifully said. Is there a way that this leads to a different path of decision-making for an individual or, or an organization? Hmm, a different path of decision making. Right. For example, uh, in, in your book, The Rise of the Coachable Leader, you talk yeah. about uh, and you've shared some success stories from people who have taken on yeah. this, uh, this approach. And I'm wondering how it's impacted their decision making. Hmm, great question. Well, I think it does. It, it would give people, because they're using this set of tools to maybe engage more people more of the time on more things. Mm-hmm it gives them more information. So what they're able to do, to do is to maybe change, change the way they think, the, the way they, they go about wanting to engage with other people. Why? Because they want to learn. The benefit for them there is to learn more from their environment, from their colleagues, from their customers, certainly. So if they take more information in, then they've got more to consider, more to reflect upon. And then I think quite naturally, it opens up the doorway to more choices. They, can, they have an expanded... Uh, range of options around which they could choose an action uh, because they've got more information. Gotcha. So it's not just better decisions between A and B, it's more options. So now we've got C, D, E, and F. Yeah. And choose yeah. From different things. Ones that, I, the ones that I can't think of myself where people get stuck in their nine dots, they get stuck in their limited way of thinking, their own personal paradigms. So the whole coaching process, if it's effective, helps open up other ways to see things. Well, it's incredible work. The book, uh, the latest book is The Rise of the Coachable Leader. You want to get that, but if you don't have it, if you haven't picked it up lately, you want to get the latest, the fourth edition of The Heart of Coaching by Tom Crane, uh, an experienced OD consultant, facilitator, and a speaker, and an author. His passion in 
sharing the transformational coaching process as contemporary applied leadership is exemplary and uh, valuable for all of us. You can find out more by going to craneconsulting.com. Tom Crane, we've talked about a bunch of things over time with regard to coaching cultures, coachability, and leadership. As we come to our, our sort of last moments together, I want to give you an opportunity to reflect on sort of the larger picture of whether it's leadership development or communication within organizations. You know, like perhaps everyone who's listening today, I have worked in and uh, my wife does work in organizations where we can see clearly that there are leadership gaps. There are things that this organization could be doing so much better. How does the heart of coaching and the approach therein, how does uh, the coachability impact organizations? And gosh, I, I want to kind of give you the floor to address overall leadership organizational development and um, how coaching can impact our culture and our work. Thank you. I guess the way this all kind of comes together for me is leaders in whatever capacity they serve, however many stripes they've got on their shoulder, what size of the office they have, blah, blah, blah. Um, leaders are, are working in the organization to achieve results. You get results through people. So it's always the, you know, the common denominator of every organization in every industry, in industry setting, country, whatever, uh, is about getting results. Well, the way you get results is to have people engaged. And to be engaged, you've got to be understanding where we're going. You've got to be uh, committed to doing the work. You've got to be excited about that. Uh, organizations that are not committed, low commitment, high fear, low trust, uh, people who are disengaged, those organizations, sim you know, sooner or later go out of business. They mm -hmm. just don't survive the competitiveness of our, of our uh, business societies. So the idea is, how do you get people to engage? Every leader, if they're honest and they can look in the mirror, which is a piece of this, they've got to be able to look in the mirror and say, well, how is it I'm doing leadership? Uh, what, what are my strengths? What are my developmental opportunities? If I have an itch in the organization that I can't scratch, one of my old mentors used to kept, kept saying that, it was a great one. Uh, they have leaders, they, uh, they have itches they can't scratch. There's something they wish they could change in the organization. Well. 99.9% .9 times it comes down to the way it's communicated, how it's communicated, what's said, the understanding that's created as a result. So you want to get results. You need to have people engaged. And if the communication processes, including feedback, are not working very well, then there's a breakdown. You see the things you're talking about where people are dysfunctional, they're hanging out, they're siloed, they're egocentric, they're selfish, they're out for themselves. Uh, or they're not paying attention to competitive threats, stresses, technology. They're not open to change. They've got all kinds of problems in the organization that are going to keep them from become, becoming as effective as that organization can. And certainly that's all put in place and kept in place by the leadership mm -hmm. team. Their effectiveness, uh, how open they are, how facile they are to change and grow. So big picture, I guess, is to look at um, I say this without damning anybody or condemning anybody. I love the Japanese saying, the fish rots from the head. Mm -hmm. It's instructive. And, and the idea is if something's not working well inside of the organization, if it's turfy, silo, uh, w whatever might be going on at a, at a lack, lack of full functioning uh, uh, way of being, the leadership is directly involved in how that gets put in place and how that culture adapts and processes and uh, goes about, you know, getting results for the organization. So it's always like, look to the leaders. They're the ones that are setting the tone, the pace, and the expectations for everything that happens inside the culture. So when, when I do work with an organization and, the le and, and that work is the most successful, successful, it's because a leadership team gets that. They understand that that is their job. Their job, the core of the, the essence of their job is to actually coach and be coached when they can do that it opens up everything they learn faster they're better better able to make more collaborative decisions more people are engaged trust goes up 
customer service goes up because now the customers are being paid attention to. You can't pay attention to customers if you can't pay attention to your employees. That's so critical and something we've seen again and again. We're down to our last couple of minutes. Is there a parting thought or a parting shot you'd like to give us today? Something to take with us as we go through our day? Hmm. It's Friday in San Diego. I'm thinking about the beach right now. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, parting shot. Uh, I guess the only thing I would, uh, I would con- consider uh, sharing uh, is that last moment ago when I said something about holding up a mirror. Mm-hmm. I think a mirror is a leadership tool. Matter of fact, I was in a workshop a whole bunch of years ago with a company right here in San Diego, as a matter of fact, where he got those little uh, compact mirrors that fit inside of a plastic case about two inches by three inches. And he put a logo on the bottom of it and he passed that out as he ended his workshop. And and then, of course, everybody has now got this little pocket size. It fits in your shirt pocket, right? Mm -hmm. And you carry this with you because when you have the courage to pull the mirror out and look at it and see who's looking back and be reflective and introspective and resourceful about how you're doing things and you can be that candid with yourself, that compassionate with yourself as well, you can navigate change and then you can model and support others in making changes as well. So it comes down to the mirror. Beautiful. Reflection of ourself in a mirror that is giving us the feedback if only we'll pay attention to it and then we can change. That's a beautiful note for us to take with us. Thank you very much. That's Tom Crane. He has an MBA, but more importantly, he's an author, a speaker, and a leader in organizational development and creating high-performance coaching cultures. You can find out more by reading his seminal work, The Heart of Coaching, uh, and his latest work, The Rise of the Coachable Leader. You can also go to Crane Consulting, that's C-R-A-N-E, Consulting, com and find out more and uh, what the heck go and get uh, do some work with Tom and have your organization thrive and shift and transform. Thank you so much for being with us, Tom. Thank you, sir. <laughs>